Thanks for listening to the weekly teaching podcast for City Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. It is our desire to be a Jesus-centered family on mission. If you live here in Knoxville or are ever visiting the area, we'd love to have you with us at one of our Sunday gatherings. You can find out more at citychurchknox.com. If you're interested in giving financially to help us reach more people in our city, you can give easily at citychurchknox.com give. And finally, if this teaching is helpful to you in any way, we'd love to hear about it. You can email us at info at citychurchknox.com. With that being said, here's this week's teaching. Well, again, good to see you guys. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to that passage that Annie just read for us, Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20 is where we'll be here in just a bit. Um, It is good to be back with you guys. Uh, If you didn't hear the update uh, from last Sunday, I set out uh, last Sunday because I was exposed to someone who tested positive for COVID. Uh, I tested negative. I still am symptom-free. The contact that I came in contact with, he uh, has remained symptom-free for the most part. But last week, we just decided for me to sit out the gathering just to be safe. Uh, But I am really excited to be back with you. And we're just going to continue on in our series on the idea of work. Uh, If you haven't been with us, we spent the past three weeks, I think it's been just sort of uh, asking the question, how should we as followers of Jesus approach and think about the topic of work? And if you haven't uh, been with us so far in the series, would highly recommend that you go to our website or our podcast and catch up on the three teachings that we've done so far. Uh, Those are sort of really important to set up where we're going today and for the rest of the series. Uh, But I won't catch you up on every single week. I'll just say that that that's the big idea of this series that we've been in, is just trying to figure out how does the story of the Scriptures really inform and change the way that we think about our work as followers of Jesus. But this morning, I do want us to take it in a little bit of a different direction than we have so far. Today, I want us to talk about how in order to work well, in order to approach our work well, we actually need a plan for intentionally resting from our work. If we're going to achieve a healthy relationship in our lives with the idea of work, we also need a healthy relationship with rest in our everyday lives. And my guess is that at least some of us don't currently have the healthiest relationship with regularly resting. So the Japanese actually have this word in their culture, the word kuroshi. And roughly translated into English, kuroshi means death by overwork. It's what the word means. It's when people in their society work so hard and so often that they end up dying from stress or things like heart disease or even sometimes from things like starvation due to an inadequate diet while they are working. So in Japan, dying from overworking is a common enough occurrence that they've actually given it a specific name in order to describe it. And before you think to yourself, wow, that sounds like a real problem for the Japanese, you should know that Americans work on average 100 more hours per year than the average person in Japan. We work 248 more hours per year than the British and 424 more hours per year than the Germans. And if after hearing all of those numbers, you're thinking to yourself, good for us working so hard as Americans, that's precisely the problem. The problem is that we in America just assume, we automatically assume that working more hours than other people has to be a good thing, and it's not always. 
A lot of Americans wear workaholism and busyness like they're badges of honor. We prioritize overwork. We revere it. We celebrate it. We give people raises because they overwork. One study found that America is the most overworked nation in the developed world, and we experience more work stress-related illnesses than any other country. So my point is that many of us in America could probably stand to improve our functional understanding of what it means to rest. And in the Bible, ground zero for understanding rest well is something called the Sabbath. For work to be what it was meant to be in our lives, we need a Sabbath. We need to regularly practice this thing called the Sabbath. So that's what we're going to cover this morning. To get things started, let's take a look at Exodus chapter 20, where we are introduced to this idea of the Sabbath. We'll start by just looking at verse 8 alone, and then we'll kind of continue after we unpack that one verse. Verse 8 says this, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. So before we go any further in this passage, we need to define a couple of very important terms that just got brought up. So first, let's talk about that word holy in the passage. One of the first things that the scriptures tell us about the Sabbath is that it should be kept holy. Now, this word holy is the Hebrew word kadesh, and it means to set something apart, to treat it as different or special in some way, to treat that thing differently than we treat everything else like it. So let me give you an example to try to illustrate this idea of kadesh. If you came over to my house at some point, and we're hanging out outside, obviously, to be appropriately social distanced because we're good citizens, right? We're hanging out outside. You, at some point, might ask me if I have something to drink, especially because it's unbearably hot in Knoxville right now, right? So you might, at some point, get thirsty and say, hey, do you have something I could drink? And I would say yes, because I'm not a cruel person, and I would tell you that if you go inside in the fridge, I have some water, I have some lemonade, I have a six-pack from Elkmont Exchange right here in Knoxville, I'd say, hey, go to the fridge, get whatever it is that you need, any of that is fair game to you. But let's say you go inside, and instead of looking in the fridge, you look in the cabinet next to the fridge, and in that cabinet, you see a bottle of Buffalo Trace, a very nice bourbon that was given to me by a member of our church family. And you come back outside and you say, Kent, you mentioned all the other things, but you didn't mention the Buffalo Trace. Why didn't you tell me I could have some of that? I might say to you, well, that's because the Buffalo Trace is Kadesh. It's, it's different. It's in a different category. It costs way more per ounce than those other things that I just mentioned. And so I might tell you, well, that's because that is special. It's set apart. It's different. It's in a category of its own. And that right there is actually a picture, at least in the broadest sense of the word, of what it means for something to be holy. It means it's altogether different. It's not like everything else. It's not ordinary. It's set apart. It's in a category all its own. So when God talks about the Sabbath being Kadesh, when he says that the Sabbath is meant to be holy, what he means is that the Sabbath should be a day in your week unlike every other day in your week. It should be different. It should be set apart in a category all its own. And the thing that makes the Sabbath holy, the thing that makes it Kadesh, is that on that particular day, you are to stop or to cease 
working. That's actually exactly what the word Sabbath means in the original language. The word Sabbath means quite literally to stop or to cease, namely to stop working, which is what the passage mentions next if we keep reading. So pick it back up with me in verse 9 of our passage. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. The seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. So for six days a week, our Exodus passage points out, we are to work. So whatever that is, we, we drive to the office, we punch the clock, we manage some people, we corral some kids, we design a building, whatever it is that you do for a living, that's what we are to do six days a week. That's what those six days are for. Now, maybe at this point you're thinking, wait, six days a week? My job only asks me to work five days a week or maybe even four days a week or less. So you might be thinking, are you saying I have to work six days a week instead? Well, yes and no. No in that you don't need to go out and find a job that forces you to work six days a week. But yes in that there are plenty of other things that we have to get done in life that are very much work even though they're not a part of our job. So we mentioned in week one of this series that the big category of work in the Bible, that it also includes things like mowing the lawn, doing the dishes, balancing a budget for those of us that believe in that sort of thing, taking out the trash, doing the laundry. All of those things and more are still considered work by the Bible's definition. And so if you only work at your job four or five days a week, What this is saying is that you should use the extra day or two in your week outside of the Sabbath to get other stuff done, stuff that is still very much work. But here's the idea with the Sabbath, and this is really important for all of us to grasp when it comes to understanding what this is. The idea is that you would do all of that stuff six days a week so that on the seventh day, you don't have to do any of it. That's the idea behind the Sabbath. That's what the author of Exodus is getting across when he says, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath or a day of ceasing from that work. So you might say that life in the kingdom of God, to quote the prophet Rihanna, goes work, 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 Sabbath. She almost got it. If she just added one more work in there, it would have been perfect for that illustration, right? But that That's the idea, that's the rhythm of life that God has prescribed for us, for his people. That we would work six days a week and on the seventh day we would cease or stop working. So there should be one day a week where you do that. If what you do five or six days a week is crunch numbers, you should do no number crunching on the Sabbath. If what you do five or six days a week is build things, That's what you do for a living. You should build no things on the Sabbath. If what you do five or six days a week is teach kids, you should teach no kids on the Sabbath. So whatever it is that you do regularly, the idea is that you would cease doing that on the Sabbath day, that we would spend one day in our week intentionally not doing the things that we do every other day. But it's not just about you ceasing work on the Sabbath. It's about even more than that. So pick it back up with me in the second half of verse 10 in our passage. It says, on it, meaning on the Sabbath, you shall not do any work. 
You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. So you aren't just to see to it that you have a Sabbath personally, but also see to it that your kids have a Sabbath, that your employees have a Sabbath, that the workers you hire have a Sabbath. The idea is that the Sabbath would actually be built into the rhythm of our communal life together. Now, the way our society runs today, I don't think that necessarily means that we should all Sabbath on the same day of the week, that everybody in our society needs to Sabbath on the same day of the week. I don't know if that would even work in our society today anymore. So you can Sabbath on a Sunday or a Saturday or a Friday or a Tuesday. The day of the week to me matters a lot less than what you do or don't do on that particular day of the week. But I do think that this means that the Sabbath should be an intentional, thought out, thought through, prioritized part of your life. I think it at least means that. And that I think it should be a prioritized part of your life personally and, if applicable, your household's life together. And here's the reason given for why we should do all of this. Why should we, at the end of the day, practice the Sabbath? Here's what it says in verse 11 of our passage. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the Sabbath day. Therefore, the Lord God blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. So there we have it. The reason that we Sabbath is because God Sabbathed. The reason we rest is because God himself rested. Now, I do think that brings up an interesting idea. Because that means that God rests even though God doesn't need to rest. Right? I mean, God has an infinite amount of energy. God does not need a day off to recharge. So to me, that would seem to indicate that although there are plenty of good physical reasons for us to Sabbath, i.e. we physically need that rest, there must also be something else going on with the Sabbath too. There must be something else behind the surface that is a reason for us to Sabbath because if it was only about us physically needing the rest, I don't think God himself would have felt the need to participate in it. So what else is it? What's the other reason for us to Sabbath as God's people? To answer that, I want us to take a look at one other important passage about the Sabbath. This one's from Deuteronomy 5. You can turn there or we'll just put it up on the screen here in a second. In Deuteronomy 5, just for context, God has just rescued the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. That's where we are in the story. And at this point, after he's done that, the appointed leader, Moses, of God's people is now unpacking for a new generation of Israelites how they should structure their lives, how they should go about their everyday lives. And right here in the middle of all of it is an instruction about keeping and remembering the Sabbath day. But here in Deuteronomy, we're actually given a new additional reason to Sabbath. It's actually different from what we just read in Exodus. So take a look with me on the screen at Deuteronomy 5 verse 15. Here's what it says. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, meaning in light of God doing that on your behalf, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Okay, so here in Deuteronomy, the reason given for keeping the Sabbath 
is actually to remember or to commemorate or call to mind how God brought these people out of slavery in Egypt. So there is a connection, in other words, in their lives between the fact that they are no longer slaves in Egypt and the fact that they are now to rest one day a week. What might that connection be between those two things? Well, think about it like this. In Egypt, because God's people were enslaved, they were often seen by the culture around them as almost subhuman, as cogs in a machine. They were seen as, in essence, as workhorses and nothing else. Their primary and maybe only value, at least to Pharaoh and the powers that be at the time, their entire value was wrapped up in how much work they could get done. That's actually one of the things that makes slavery such a destructive idea because it dehumanizes people. It boils them down to only being as good or as valuable as their work would indicate. It treats people as products, as commodities, and not as image bearers of God. And that was very much the case in Egypt. The Israelites' entire existence in Egypt was defined by their work. The lie that was communicated to them every single day in a dozen different ways was that they were no more than what they could accomplish. That they were no more valuable than the amount of work and the quality of work that they could get done. Now, we mentioned last week in the teaching that we today are actually tempted to believe a version of that same lie about ourselves. We are often also tempted to believe that we are what we accomplish, that our identity is found in our work, that our value comes from how much work we can get done and how well we do that work. And what Deuteronomy 5 is telling us is that one of the most practical ways to push back on that lie that is so easy to believe, one of the most practical ways to counteract that lie To remind yourself that it's not true is to have a day where you don't accomplish much of anything. It's a day to resist the narrative that work is who we are by being intentionally unproductive on that particular day. That's why we should work the Sabbath into our weekly rhythm, because it is meant to counteract a very common and a very powerful lie about who we are. So every time we participate in the Sabbath as God's people, what we are doing is teaching our minds and hearts and bodies to believe that we are not what we accomplish, that we don't have to be productive to be valuable. We are forcing ourselves to remember that our identity comes from the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and not from how much we get done or what type of work we get done or the quality of work that we get done. And listen, it works the other way around too. So in order to allow ourselves the ability to take a Sabbath, we have to believe on some level in the identity given to us through the cross of Jesus. We have to believe that 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 is the most important thing about us and nothing else. That Jesus in his death rescued you and I from defining ourselves by our work, much like he rescued the Israelites out of all of that as well. He has rescued us from the spiritual slavery of defining ourselves by what we do. And to help us remember that reality, he has given us this thing called the Sabbath day. Does that make sense so far? 
Okay, so with all of that said, that sort of foundation laid for what the Sabbath is and and why we should practice the Sabbath, here's what I want us to do for the rest of our time together. I have two very important clarifications to make about the Sabbath, and then I want to just offer you some tips and some suggestions about how to put put the practice of the Sabbath into practice in your life. So first clarification I want to make on the Sabbath. Clarification number one, the Sabbath is not just a day off. The Sabbath is not just a day off. It's more than that. So it's not just a day to numb yourself with TV and social media and technology. In fact, I would argue that by spending all of your days off on those types of things, you're actually teaching yourself to believe that there's no use in doing anything unless you can be working. Right? So in in all honesty, it might be reinforcing the lie that the Sabbath was actually meant to teach us not to believe. So the point is not to veg out. The point is to rest. And even though those might sound similar to some of us, they're actually worlds apart in how you go about them. So the goal is that after the Sabbath, you would feel rested and joyful and restored and re-energized to go about your life and contribute to your work in a meaningful way. And I don't know about you, but binging a TV show doesn't make me feel any of those things when I'm done, right? Like I, I have never thought to myself after a full season of Better Call Saul, wow, I just feel so much joy and I just feel so at peace with my purpose in the world, and I feel so much clarity about how I might contribute to the world around me at this point. And I'm just ready to go. I'm ready to go right back to work. Never thought that. Uh, I have definitely never thought that after scrolling through Facebook for an hour. Never in my life have I gotten done scrolling through social media and gone, man, I just really feel a lot of clarity about my purpose in the world right now. I'm ready to go back to work. So the idea is not that we would just check out, it's actually that we would rest. Now, I will say, I don't think that means that you shouldn't watch any TV on the Sabbath. Watch an episode or two, watch a movie, especially if you don't do much of those things the rest of the week, that can be fine. But I would highly recommend keeping TV and technology and social media to a minimum on the Sabbath, if not eliminating them entirely. Because a Sabbath is more than just a day off. It's more than just a day to check out from the world. One other clarification I'll make, I think this one is really important just from what I've seen people think and understand and misunderstand about the Sabbath. Clarification number two is that the Sabbath is not an excuse to avoid people or avoid helping people. The Sabbath is not some sort of spiritual cop-out to not have to love and serve other people. I've heard people say before that they can't hang out with people in their life group on the Sabbath because it's their Sabbath. Now, if what they mean by that is, hey, I have a very intentional plan for my Sabbath and it involves me getting some degree of alone time, sure, that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense, actually. But if the point is that you can't ever hang out with or pour into people spiritually on your Sabbath or have hard conversations with people on your Sabbath, I think I would challenge that viewpoint, if nothing else, just based on Jesus' own life in the Gospels. If the point of the Sabbath was to avoid all meaningful relationships with people, nobody ever told Jesus that, 
in his time on earth. Jesus in the Gospels is nearly always hanging out with his disciples on the Sabbath. He's having discipling conversations with them on the Sabbath. He's pouring into them. He's teaching them things on the Sabbath. He's having difficult conversations with people on the Sabbath. Jesus did not avoid people or relationships on the Sabbath, often quite the opposite, in fact. I've also heard people say that they can't help others do things on their Sabbath. So it's, well, I can't help you with that house project that you asked me about because it's my Sabbath. Or I can't help you move because today is my Sabbath. Now, again, if what you mean by that is I'm concerned that that project might end up taking up the whole day and then I don't get a chance to rest, absolutely. That makes tons of sense. There's actually a very easy solution to that. Just say, hey, I would love to help you from noon until two o'clock, and then unfortunately I have to do some other things. I have to Sabbath. You can easily say that. Just limit the amount of time that you're able to give. But don't avoid helping people on the Sabbath. Again, Jesus often confronted people who thought the Sabbath was an excuse not to help other people. He challenged them on that regularly, and his response to them was, oh, you've misunderstood entirely what the Sabbath is. The Sabbath is not an excuse to be selfish. It's an opportunity to rest, and those don't have to be mutually exclusive. So now that we've clarified two things about the Sabbath, I want us to wrap up with a handful of tips about how to put the practice of Sabbath into your everyday life. So if you want to start practicing the Sabbath, if this is a brand new concept for you and you're wanting to start putting this into your weekly rhythm, or if maybe you've realized that you've misunderstood the Sabbath and you've treated it as something different than what it is, and you want to start kind of returning to the biblical worldview of what a Sabbath is, I want to just offer you some tips to get started in all of that. Number one, first suggestion I would make, make a to cease list. Make a to cease list. So for my more type A people in the room, that's me, by the way, uh, every other day of your week, we can live by our to-do list, right? I mean, we just love it. Nothing gives us more satisfaction than checking off things on our to-do list. But on the Sabbath, you need a to-stop list. Because that's what the Sabbath is. It's a day to cease or to stop. And remember, the Sabbath is to be holy. So the Sabbath should stand out noticeably from the things that you do every other day of the week. So your list of what you're not going to do on the Sabbath matters as much, if not more, than what you are going to do. So start with the question, what do I normally do the rest of the week? And then take those things and as much as possible, make them off limits for you on the Sabbath. So if you send and receive emails constantly as part of your job, you might want to cut out email and possibly even computer entirely on the Sabbath. If what you do is make calls all week, that's your job, make no calls on the Sabbath unless they're absolutely necessary. If you work with your hands all week, if you build things or repair things or whatever it is, do your best to not work with your hands on the Sabbath, to not build things or fix things, at least in the same way, on the Sabbath. Uh, if what you do is strategize all week, you do brainstorming and strategic planning and all of that, do your best on the Sabbath to do no strategizing. Find a way to engage different parts of your brain, different parts of your thinking on the Sabbath. Uh, I'll give you one more, slightly more complex example. 
uh, if what you do most of the week is that you stay home and take care of your kids. Do your best to minimize that on the Sabbath. Now, obviously, this one is a little more difficult, right? Because especially if you have small kids, I mean, it's not like you can just like lock them out in the backyard and be like, good luck, it's my Sabbath, don't ask me for anything. Like, you can't do that. So this one gets a little more complex. You may have to get more creative with this one if that is what you do the majority of the week. So this might mean, one example would be, this might mean what, whatever parent doesn't normally stay home with the kids during the week takes them on a weekend day so that that other parent can get a Sabbath. Which, as a side note, might mean that some of us parents who don't normally stay at home with the kids need to grow in our ability to do that so that our spouse can take a Sabbath. I find that more often than not, it is dads that need to grow in that ability to do something like that so that our wives can Sabbath. Or maybe another solution, if you have the ability in your budget, maybe you need to allocate some money to a Sabbath day to pay for a babysitter so that whatever parent normally stays at home with the kids can actually have that day off or at least a portion of that day off. Maybe you have that ability. Maybe you have the means to do that. If you don't have the means to do that, maybe there are things in your budget currently that you regularly spend money on that, to be honest, are way less important than you having a Sabbath. Maybe you could dial back one meal where you're going out to a restaurant each week and use that money to pay a babysitter so that you can have a Sabbath. It may look like reallocating things in your budget in order to do that. Now, I'll say this, for single parents in our church, this is one of the ways that we as a church family get to serve you. So we should be offering and you should be asking us if some of us can take care of your kids so that you can get some rest. Your life group should be willing and eager to step in and come alongside you in an effort to help you get a Sabbath. This is part of what it means for the church to function like a family, right? Is that we see it as our responsibility to fight for spiritual health in each other, and that includes helping one another have a day of rest. But anyway, obviously some of us are going to have to get a little more creative with this in order to make it happen, in order to practice it well. But making a to cease or to stop list on your Sabbath could be a great place for you to start. Next suggestion I'd make to you, fill the Sabbath with some of the best things in life. Fill the Sabbath with some of the best things in life. So once you've decided what you're not going to do on your Sabbath, make a running list of things you could do on your Sabbath. What things make you feel full of life and recharged and joyful after you do them? Keep a list of those things, a running list of those things, and then pick one or two of them each Sabbath to go do. So examples would be go for a walk, take a nap or a bath, go for a hike, go to a coffee shop with a close friend with no limits on how long you can stay there. Have a slow, casual brunch with several friends, assuming that we don't have to all hang out by ourselves because of COVID. Hopefully, we still have the ability to have casual brunch with a few friends, right? Have a slow, casual brunch. Uh, eat good food. What food do you really love? Make a plan to eat that food on your Sabbath. Uh, enjoy a beverage on your back porch for an extended amount of time. 
The point is to ask, what are the things that after I do them, after I participate in them, I feel joy and I feel recharged, like I'm just re-energized to tackle whatever is next in life. Those are the types of things that you want to try to do most often on your Sabbath. And most importantly, get some good time with the Holy Spirit on your Sabbath. Read some in the scriptures. Maybe every other day of the week, you only get to read like a passage or a chapter from the Bible. On your Sabbath, consider reading an entire book of the Bible beginning to end and just letting it sit with you. Spend extended amounts of time in prayer throughout the day. One of the things that you'll notice if you read the passages that talk about the Sabbath in the Bible is that almost always there's this phrase about the Sabbath being a day to the Lord. There's that phrase, the Sabbath is a day that is kept holy to the Lord, which means for a Sabbath to be a true scriptural Sabbath, it means that there needs to be at least some Godward element to it. If, if you enjoy things all day long that you really, really love to do, but none of the day is spent thinking about God or thinking about who he is or thinking about who we are in light of who God is, if none of the day is spent doing that, I think we've missed a major part of the Sabbath. So your Sabbath should include some intentional Godward time as well, but fill your Sabbath with the best things in life. Next tip, number three, prepare in advance for the Sabbath. Prepare in advance for the Sabbath. Uh, I know this one is called a tip or a suggestion, but this one is about as close to required as a suggestion can be. Uh, If you want your Sabbath to be a success, Uh, If you want it to be everything it can and should be, you will have to prepare for it in advance. In the Old Testament, there's this story about God providing manna, so a type of bread for the Israelites. And he tells them at one point that, that on the sixth day of every week, they should gather double the amount of bread so that they don't have to gather any of it on the Sabbath. So the idea there is that the Sabbath required some degree of preparation beforehand in order to pull it off well. I think the same principle is at play in us needing to prepare well for our Sabbath today. So if you need a babysitter for your Sabbath, that's probably something you need to schedule earlier in the week, right? If you need to not do the laundry or the dishes on your Sabbath because you spend a lot of your week doing those things, that might require that you do extra laundry or extra dishes the day before the Sabbath. If you need to not check email on the Sabbath, that might mean you need to block out 30 or 45 minutes the day before your Sabbath to wrap up any unfinished correspondence or email that needs to get done. probably one that all of us need to hear is if you need to stay away from technology on your Sabbath so that you don't get distracted with stuff that doesn't help you rest, that probably means that the day before your Sabbath, you need to turn off your phone and store it away in a drawer or a closet somewhere so that you aren't tempted to roll over when you wake up on the Sabbath and check your phone first thing. Probably looks like something like that. So whatever it is, you do the math on that. What, what is it that often keeps your Sabbath from being as restful and as fruitful as it could be? And then whatever that thing is, whatever those things are, figure out a way to take care of those problems before your Sabbath starts. A quality Sabbath is probably going to require at least some amount of preparation in advance. Usually we do not just stumble into a helpful Sabbath. Usually it doesn't happen by accident. It actually takes some preparation. 
Next tip, we've got two more. Number four, do not be surprised if it's difficult at first. Do not be surprised if it's difficult to Sabbath at first. Uh, You and I live in a society that reinforces constantly that lie that we are what we accomplish. So taking a day to not accomplish things might be really difficult for us to do at first. It might be challenging. You might feel the pull within you in the first hour of your Sabbath to check your email or to get something done or to respond to that text from work. Or you might just be inclined to grab your phone and start mindlessly scrolling, right? Very possible that it's going to be a challenging thing to do at first because a lot of us operate as if we are what we accomplish. That might mean our first attempts at a true Sabbath feel more like a challenge than anything else. But listen, that's actually just proof that you do need the Sabbath, desperately. Think about it this way. If a person is is addicted to some sort of substance, and if when they try to quit, they immediately start experiencing withdrawal symptoms, that's actually proof that they were indeed addicted to that substance, right? Okay, so if you and I, when we first start trying to Sabbath, experience productivity withdrawals, that's probably a good sign that we really needed the Sabbath as much as anybody, right? What that's showing us is that we have begun to define ourselves on some level by what we accomplish, and that's what the Sabbath was meant to combat in us. So uh, just so you know, it may be a little bit uncomfortable and a little bit awkward at first. That's okay. No new rhythm or new habit goes smoothly on your first try. So give it time. Don't just try the Sabbath once and give up on it. Try it 10 times and then evaluate it to see if there's anything you need to change about it. Get a feel for what the Sabbath is. For some of us, it might be easy. It might be a walk in the park. But for others of us, it'll take some learning and some unlearning and some reflection. Which leads us to our last tip. Number five, start somewhere. Start somewhere with the Sabbath. So technically, the Sabbath should be a full 24 hours, sundown to sundown, sunrise to sunrise. The goal is for it to be an entire day of ceasing from work. So if you can, do 24 hours. Do 24 full hours of resting for your Sabbath. But maybe for you, 24 hours just seems impossible right now. Like there's just no way that's going to happen at the moment. And that's okay, but start somewhere. If you can't find a babysitter for the whole day to Sabbath, find a babysitter for half the day or for a few hours during the day. The idea with the Sabbath also is that your Sabbath would be the same day every week. So that it kind of creates this natural recurring rhythm to your week. But maybe right now you're at the mercy of when you're scheduled for work. So you can't make the Sabbath the same day every single week. So if that's the case, make your Sabbath day a floating day. Maybe it's not the same day every week. It's a floating Sabbath each week. Or make it the second half of one day and the first half of the next day. It's all kinds of ways to go about it. But whatever you need to do, just start somewhere. Your Sabbath doesn't have to be perfectly executed. In fact, that kind of counteracts the whole point of the Sabbath, right? It's feeling like it needs to be perfect. So it doesn't have to be ideal, But don't let the need for it to be perfect or ideal keep you from doing it at all. Just start somewhere. Commit to joining God in this holy rhythm of rest in your life, and I can promise he will bless your efforts in that over time.
So that's the idea, five tips on how to practice the Sabbath. Uh, I want us to just land the plane here for today on Jesus' words from Matthew 11, verses 28 and 29. Most of you have probably heard this passage at some point before, but I just really want us to consider what Jesus says here in light of everything we've just talked about with the Sabbath. Take a look with me up on the screen at this passage. Jesus says to us, to his disciples, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So I need you to hear me on this. The epicenter of rest and where rest comes from is the person and work of Jesus. That's where it all starts. Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. Step one in participating in the Sabbath is to bring your life, bring all of your life to Jesus. And once you're there, allow him to structure your life in such a way that brings you rest. And not just rest to our minds, not just rest to our bodies, but he says rest for our souls. That's what we're after as followers of Jesus. But listen, in order to do that, we have to hear and put into practice what Jesus teaches us about who we are and about what life should look like. If we rebel against God's rhythm for work and rest, we will eventually suffer the consequences of that on a whole lot of different levels. So it makes me think of our daughter, Nora. She's just over a year old right now. She takes two naps every single day, uh, one in the morning and one in, one in the afternoon. But lately, she's at that stage where she started fighting her naps a little bit, where she just rebels against them. Like she just will not go down. She'll just either scream or just play and refuse to take a nap no matter how tired she is. And what I've noticed is that the more she fights her naps, the more cranky, the more mad, the more exhausted she becomes as a result of fighting those naps. Everything gets worse for her when she doesn't nap. And listen, I'm sure from her perspective, there's lots going on in the world, right? And she doesn't want to miss out on any of that by going down for her nap. But the reality is that she was designed to nap. She was designed to nap. God designed you and I to Sabbath. When we don't Sabbath, we get cranky, we burn out, we begin to care about the wrong things and care way too little about the right things. We start to believe lies about who God is and who we are as a result. And listen, here's the thing, with us too, I'm sure we could come up with a million good reasons that we can't Sabbath or shouldn't have to Sabbath, right? I'm sure we've got lots of good reasons. Well, I might miss something, or what if my job really needs me, or something, what if something happens and people need to get a hold of me and they can't get a hold of me, or I'm not even that tired, I don't feel that tired, I don't need to rest for a day. All kinds of reasons for not doing it. But there's really just one very good reason to Sabbath that outranks all of those reasons not to, and it's that God, who has loved us and set us free through Jesus, says that this is how life works best, if you rest. That God himself who created you and I and how our bodies work and how our exhaustion levels work, God who created the idea of work and created the world around us that, and he sustains it all, that God said that you and I will be just fine if we rest. 
And the world around us will be just fine if we rest. And the people around us will be just fine if we rest. At the end of the day, I think, at least for some of us, the unwillingness to rest is actually God revealing our pride. That we think a lot of things depend on us that actually don't. And listen, even if your work productivity decreases as a result of you resting one day a week, even if people are all of a sudden like, well, I I used to be able to get in touch with this person 24-7, and now all of a sudden I can't reach them for an entire day every week, even if that's frustrating for them, even if people get frustrated at you because of it. At the end of the day, this is how God says life works. And at the end of the day, we will be better off because we rest. We will be better off if we participate in God's rhythm for work and rest that we find in the scriptures. So let's come to Jesus. Let's let him teach us how to Sabbath and we will ultimately find rest for our souls. Let's pray. God, with so many of the things that we talk about uh, here on Sundays, um, I think once again we find ourselves uh, in a lot of ways at odds uh, with how our world thinks we should function. God, I, I think the, the lie that we are what we accomplish and that we are no more than what we accomplish. God, for, for a lot of us, the, the dream of, of making it um, to the top of the ladder, um, to people respecting us, people revering us, people looking up to us, I think all of that in a lot of ways just can create this perfect storm doing what you call gaining the whole world but losing our soul. But God, what you offer to us is rest for our souls. And so God, even though it it might take work, it might take practice, it might take a lot of unlearning and a lot of processing, God, a lot of trying to create new habits in the place of old ones, God, all of that is worth it if it helps us see you more clearly and see ourselves more clearly as a result of all of that. So God, when it comes to the Sabbath, I I pray that um, maybe first and foremost, we would trust you. We would trust that you know better than we do. And God, that when you tell us to rest, You're not trying to take something from us. You're trying to give us something that we desperately need. And so God, would you help us as um, we try to put into practice this, this ancient idea that has been so helpful for generations and generations of your people. Would you give us the endurance, the motivation? Would you give us the heart to put those things into practice well in our everyday lives. And God, would you, would you use them to bear all kinds of fruit in how we see ourselves and how we see you. We ask this in your name, for your glory. Amen.